Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. All right, good morning. You guys doing good so far? Yeah, welcome to Rollback Weekend, right? Seeing all the cars down there. Busy weekend here in Birch Bay, and you might be here visiting and connecting. As Ashley mentioned, we're glad to have you. We want to, we want you to know we'd love to connect with you afterwards and anything we can do to serve you. Uh, but thanks for being here. Maybe if you're new, you haven't been here in a while, we've been doing a series called Chase the Wind. And the idea of it is that. The thought, can you, cha- can you, can you grasp when you can't? Wind is, affects us, and, and, and whatever's in the wind, we're kind of trying to go, it keeps moving. You ever chase the bubble or chase something, a piece of paper, and as soon as you get to it, it, it moves on, you know? It's like, life is like that. The things that we're going after and chasing after, and we've been doing a study through the book of Ecclesiastes with this theme, and really, most believe that King Solomon, and he probably had some help in doing this, wrote this poetic book, but really this, this theme of who, who King Solomon had everything he wanted. He had power, he had wealth, he had, he had women, he had, he had, he had everything he, he could have in life, and yet it wasn't enough. It was like in his grasp, but never could really hold on to it. And life is like that, isn't it? It just seems like we're just kind of moving on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. It's almost like the, the, we're seeking after the, like the bigger and the better. And I was thinking as I was watching this video of our, our students going to camp, and uh, two things. I used to be a youth pastor for about a decade, and when I watched that, I watched, oh, I missed the fun and excitement, and then I go, oh, not really, because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, because I used to put those things on to do that, but what I love about students is you can get crazy and do different things with them. In fact, when I mentioned bigger and better, I thought about, we used to do an event called Bigger and Better. And what we did was a scavenger hunt with our youth ministry, and we'd break up in groups with their leaders, and we'd give them some small object, like an apple or an orange, and we told them to go out, and you're going to try to find something bigger and better that you've got to trade up. And so they would go into neighborhoods, they would go to people they know or people they didn't know and knock on the door and go, I've got an orange, can you give me something bigger than better or can I trade with you? And I remember students coming back, one group, I think they won, they came back with a wheelbarrow. They ended up getting, they traded up to get to this wheelbarrow. My friend who was a youth pastor in a different ministry, he said one of his groups came back with a car. I'm like, how can you go from an apple to a car? Like, did, did they have the title? I mean, it was drivable. I mean, there was a student that was driving it back. Like, did he even have a license? I mean, it was just crazy that they had the opportunity to get this. But we do that. We, we seek after in life. We're looking for upgrades, aren't we? We get caught up in doing it. At least I do at times. And I think there was some kind of, like, Big gulp anniversary. I mean, I think it's their marketing. 7-Eleven does it every year. Free Slurpee days or whatever. Big gulp days. And and I was looking at when I was a kid. They the on that old the, the big gulp came out. It was this size here. That we got the big gulp coming up here. 
We got a picture of the big gulp. Okay, we got the 32 ounce. I remember that. It's it 10 years old. That's a lot of pop right there. That's a 32 ounce. Excuse me, the cup's this way. It's this big. That's pretty big. That's, a, that's not the actual. It could be actual size. I don't know. 44 ounce. We blew in the super big gulp. Oh my gosh. The, really, do we need the super? There's a super big gulp. Like, my mom would not let me get the super big gulp because we would, you know, like stop every, you know, half hour for the restroom on that. And then you get to then they had this double, double big gulp. I've never personally drank the double big gulp. I don't know if that's really necessary. I don't want, you're that thirsty. Okay, you should be drinking water and doing that. But then I didn't know this existed to this week. Did you know, realize this is the next, it's the bucket gulp. I'm like, I'm like, is that a farce? Is that, no, there's the bucket gulp. Can you imagine just bringing like a, like a bucket? <laughs> like, I got the pop. Hey, man, it's a, it's a group you know, activity or something with the boat. You, how do you drink that thing? I'm not really sure on that. But it's just a, such a silly example. It's like we're looking for the bigger and the better in life. If it's not the drink size upgrades, we're looking for the rental car upgrade. We're looking for the hotel room. Hey, can you upgrade me to the, you know, for, we're looking for free upgrades many times. Uh, we have to upgrade. When we get a cell phone, we're looking for the newer cell phone. My my son texted me this morning, and I don't know how he did that because my phone doesn't work, but he still texts me. I'm not sure how that works. But he said, my phone died. Okay, he's going to need an upgrade. You know, vehicles we upgrade. Careers, houses, and people, even spouses, they've upgraded. Now, let me ask this. Are you seeking an upgrade? Are you in a place in your life you're looking for, you know, a little upgrade, a little little bit more? Here's the thought. You don't miss this. Is It's okay for an upgrade. It's okay, you know, if you're looking to better yourself. You know, you want a better, you want to get a better career, a higher paying job, go to college, go to, go to BTC, go improve your skills so you can be marketable. That's nothing wrong with improvement. There's nothing wrong as something, I mean, things wear out, a phone breaks, you're going to have to get a new phone. I mean, that's just part of life, right? You, you have a growing family, nothing wrong with getting a little bit more square footage, But here's the question. In fact, we've been kind of wrestling with the last several weeks is what happens when you arrived with what you received? What happens when you get it? Then what? Well, there's always more. There's always bigger. There's always, there's always better with it. And that's Solomon's point all through the book of Ecclesiastes. Bigger is not always better. Newer is not always better. There comes a place where he goes, he goes, what is the point in it all? I have it all. What is the point? He says it's like chasing the wind. He, he calls it meaningless, utter meaningless of life. He's not saying what we think sometimes we think of meaningless is pointless. He's saying it's like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's just, we're not quite grasping hold of it. And, and really, he the thought is this, as we get into, when we looked at the first six chapters, we're smack dab in the middle of it here as we're, we're turning the corner toward the end, is that as Solomon sought after the upgrades, he up, the bigger, the better, the richer, the faster, I mean, everything he was after, he comes to this place, is it really, really worth it? Well, we get to chapter seven, and I want to give us this truth today, a core truth about this is that seeking the bigger and better is never the wiser. Seeking after the bigger and the better is never wiser. And again, it's, it's not that big is not bad. Better is not bad. It really isn't about the bigger and the better. It is about our attitude and our pursuit of the bigger and the better. It goes back to desires 
of our own heart, the motive of our lives. And that's really, as we turn into chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon leaves some betters, better thans, that he leaves us here that we're going to look at, seven of them in chapter 7, that following not the bigger and the better what we think we should be getting out of life, but really what God has in his wisdom that we should be seeking. So the first, if you're taking notes, you can write these in. We're going to plow through them. Seven better thans from chapter 7. The first is this. Your name, your name is better than a bank account. Your name is better than a bank account. We live in a, a nation that puts a lot of stock in the name. Does anybody know the name Zenith? Have you ever heard that? Is it, is it, does anybody have something they own still has Zenith on it? Some of you have... You don't hear about it anymore. I don't know if they, I doubt you, some people still have, like your TV is 1984 or something, right? I don't know. But uh, you got Zenith there. Maybe you still, maybe it's still out there. You can look it up later on that. But in 1929, because Zenith was the pioneer in electronics, this is what their slogan in 1929, it probably lasted several decades because I kind of remember it when I, in, in younger years, was this, that the quality goes in before the name goes on. That was Zenith's theme. That's pretty good for 1929. The quality goes in before the name goes on. How true that is in the quality of a good name. There's something about a good name. When I say a product's name, you're going to have emotions about that name. For some names, you're going, cheapo, I'm not buying that. You know, wow, yeah, that name, no, that's a really good name. That, I, they, they, and those people stand by their name. Why do they stand by their name? It's because they have quality. There's character in that product. It's the same way with people. It's the same way with people that we look at. Your name matters. You know, Solomon says this, a good name is better than fine perfume. It's, it has a there's a reputation that really does matter that really you can't put a number on it. You can't put an amount of money, how important that is. Here's a, I guess a revealing question for you is, when your name is brought up by others, what, what are they saying of you? When your name is mentioned, what qualities do people talk about you? Because you're like, do people talk about me? Yeah, people talk about you, okay? I've heard things. No. <laughs> you know that. There's people, there, this, it's, it's in life. There's reputations always there. Now, some of you go, I don't care. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care. I'm like, oh, baloney. You do care. All of us care. Now, certain degrees, and some of us are recovering people pleasers. We do. It, it matters to us, but it does matter. Our reputation really does matter in our name when it comes to, especially where connected and believe and, and known to be a Christian, known to be a follower of Jesus, it really does have a place. But look at the last part of this verse, verse one, good name and better than fine perfume. And then he says this, the day of death better than the day of birth. Your day of death is better than the day of birth. Think about these two days. The, the day that, that your name, go back to your name, you're, you're named at your birthday, you know, you receive this name, but it also shows up at the end of your life called an obituary. Your name is, is mentioned on both, both ends. It's, and the bookend of, our, our, of those names is our life. You know, and when people read of you, of your passing? Are they going to? Are they going to have a lovely fragrance about you? Or is it going to be an unpleasant scent of a memory of you? It really does matter. Your good name is better than anything. Anything of greater value than that. The other thing of this to know is our, our death date is better than our birth date. Our death date is better than our death date. 
You might know the story of, and heard a real life story of Alfred. Alfred in 1888 opened the, the French newspaper and, and read in horror, what, which he already knew that his brother Ludwig had died. But when he read of the obituary, it wasn't his brother's obituary, it was his. And that tagline on there was, the merchant of death is dead. Alfred was the, the maker of a very lucrative company that made dynamite. And in that place, there was an assessment that Alfred had of his life that he decided to change his legacy. He had this moment and opportunity, what people had said about him already, of his death, that he could change. A rare assessment of his life. And so what he ended up doing is, at the end of his life, donated $9 million to start a new fund called the Albert Nobel Prizes. And you've heard of the Nobel Peace Prizes. Alfred Nobel was the one that started. He wanted his legacy to change. We might not have the luxury to do that, or we can, because we can start today. We can already assess our life before our life is over and go, what will my days ahead look like, knowing that my death day really, really is more important even than my birthday. Look, I love what the message Bible says of this. Your death date tells more than your birth date. It's what speaks more. And we, we get caught up, and I've I've attended a lot of funerals. I've performed six out of seven funerals here in the last 10 months. And, and when that happens, there's, you know, if it's a, you're attending a funeral, or you hear terrible news or your condition, there is a place and there's a moment where crisis can happen, but it's also a reflection of your own, own life. And to take an assessment. And, and that's what Solomon says here of the soberness of evaluation of our life when it comes to the end of our lives. He says in verse 2, it's, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. We should. We should, we should evaluate there's great wisdom of taking the heart and the reality of death. We try to avoid it all the time. We try to, we try to push it aside and it, it shows up. And on the season I've been, it just shows up constantly and a reminder of that. And it and continues, to, continues to do that. I just heard of a friend that passed away suddenly yesterday. I'm like, oh my goodness, it just doesn't end. And, and yet it comes to this place for our lives to continue to evaluate that and to evaluate this before it's too late. To assess our lives before it's too late in the relationships that are so precious even now that are not going to last beyond, not, not going to last, you know, forever in, on this earth. There's going to be time for everyone. A few weeks ago, we had a service for my, my cousin who passed away right here in this room. And I shared a message as I'm sharing now and just talking about the reality of death and choices we make and not have regrets and all that. And my cousin, other cousin came up to me and just broken, just devastated because she says, I should have forgave her. I should have forgave her. I should have made amends. I didn't make amends. And she's just living in deep sorrow. I'm weeping. And and I reflected upon the fact two years ago, we were at a birthday party and she was on the other side of the room and the other cousin who had passed away that just a few weeks ago was on the other side of the room and she comes up to me and she goes, I can't forgive her. I can't forgive her for what she did to our other cousin. And I, and I said, well, 
It's interesting. She goes, I can't even talk with her. I said, well, that other cousin that she did that to is actually talking to her. So the hurt that she had, you're taking her cause and she's already moved on. You need to let it go. You need to go, go talk to her. Just go talk to her. You don't have to bring her in there. Just talk to her. That's all you have to do. Well, flashback two years later in this very room a couple weeks ago, she didn't do that. Live in a deep regret of that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. And I challenged my cousin. I said, okay, that's too late there, but there's other relationships you can make amends with. It is not too late. Death is, has that reality. And, and Solomon's saying, listen, that death date is so important to tell you. You know, it says in the Psalms, teach us, Lord, the, the number of our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. We don't have five years. We don't, we don't know 50 years. We just don't know. Which leads to another better than's is this, that mourning is better than laughing. We're going to look here in a moment in the verse he says that mourning is better than laughing. As I mentioned, I've done a, conducted a lot of funeral services, but several years ago, a few de- decades ago, I was in between churches and I got a call from the, a funeral home that says, will you come and help us with some services? Somehow my name got on a list and it was the list like when families don't have a pastor or anybody officiate their services of a loved one, they, they call. And, and so I, got on the, I was on the list. I must have been 10th on the list. They couldn't get over everybody else and they got me. And so I remember doing, they said, it's back-to-back services. And so I'm literally there, like one group comes in, they leave, and another group comes in. And so I'm like, okay, changing names, making sure I got them right. And, 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 and so at the end of one of the services, I, and again, I hadn't done these services a lot like this. I didn't know what to say at the end of the service. I go, all right, have a great day. No, that's not appropriate. Not what you want to say. And you know what was amazing? That, that funeral home never called me back again to help them with services. And I find myself, I do this. I don't know about you, but I love to break tension with humor. You don't do that at a funeral. You don't do that. There is a time to laugh. There's a time. We, we read that in Ecclesiastes a few weeks. A time to weep, a time to laugh. But there's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's, this, there's a timing for everything. A cheerful heart, yes, is good medicine. A crushed spirit dries up bones. We know that. But look at verse 3 of 7. Sorrow, he says, is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. And you read that, you're kind of like, huh? Really? Is it true? Well, again, there's a time to celebrate. There's time to have fun. But you don't learn a whole lot in fun. Fun's fun. Where you really learn in life, where you learn life lessons, where you feel the gravity of life and where it's at is in the serious times. It's in the sober times. It's in the, many times it is in the times of mourning that we're there. See, I've had captive audiences, you know, I've done that in prisons. I've spoken prisons before and I've spoken funeral services and they're about the same. It's like people are here, they don't really want to be here, but they're here. And, 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 and I found that those are the moments that I have an audience that people are listening and they're leaning in a little bit because it's, it's not a time just to have fun and frivolous. It's a time to really be serious. And it's in those moments. Verse 4, he's, Solomon says, the, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is the house of mirth, which I had to look up mirth. I don't use that word a lot. It means amusement. Again, you can have fun and, ex- and there's exciting times. And, but if we just live in that place, it's a place of foolishness. And we're not really taking the seriousness of life. And there's, there's death moments that grip us that we must come to grips with and learn from. 
life near death gives us amazing clarity and incredible perspective. Another better than is this. Solomon says, rebuking is better than praising. That rebuking is better than praising. It, it's tough to experience criticism. I, I have a tough time with it. I don't know if I'm the average person, but I think some of us struggle a lot more than others. But all of us could say, like, we could get 20 you know, set things said to us and evaluated and 20 things and 18 of them you were fantastic. They're, you're killing it. You're doing awesome. And then whoever's evaluating goes, but there's two little things that we're going to need to work on a little bit. And all you walk away going, oh, I'm horrible. I'm the worst. I've got these two things. Don't we do that? We are our worst critics and then people don't help with that. But I tell you, I've learned this. People that love me, that have the right motive, it's so helpful. Even though I don't want to hear the truth, it's so helpful. So Solomon says this. He says, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of the fools. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a fan club. There's nothing wrong with the encouragement and the pat on the back and you're doing great and it's so awesome. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But this is what he says of that. He says, well, then it's like the crackling of thorns under the pot. So is the laughter of fools. And this too is meaningless. He's saying you could, there's a lot of crackling in life. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, noise and excitement that can go around us, but it doesn't have anything of substance. Is there anything that's actually going to heat the pot? Is there anything that's going to bring warmth, that's going to bring substance to our lives? It's important to get honest feedback. It's important. There's times of rebuke that help us to grow and to be better. If you want to be better, if you want to better your life, and you more than that, if you want to seek God's plan for our lives, there are times of a serious conversation that we need to have. People that we look up to that will help us and guide us along the way, that will sit us down and go, that's not good. That attitude, that action, what you said, it's not good. It's not, it's not helpful. And if you and I want to grow in Christ's likeness, if we are willing to say, Lord, I just want to follow your will and I want to seek after you and the best you have for my life, there's a time that we have to listen to criticism and recognizing this, and this is what I try to do. Oh, it's a tweak. It's a tweak. Rather than me not listening to it and just going my own way, because I tell you, when, when you don't just take the tweaks and you go your own way, it's a lot more repair work at the other end if you don't take care of that. So we have to stop and we have to humble ourselves enough to receive it. So we, to, but we need to be careful. Solomon warns us next. He says, extortion, he says, turns why, a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. We have to be careful. We get suckered into seduction. People come and they, they butter us up. And when they do that, sometimes we can compromise our, our, our values. And then what happens is when our integrity is questioned, I mean, it can set up you for blackmail. It can set up for a lot of difficulties that happen in your life. We can be tempted. And I think many times we be tempted to take the shortcuts that are offered that are not the place to go. See, know this. The end is better than the beginning. The end, you put this in, is better than beginning. My friend, many of you know Eric Young. Eric's a good friend. He was part of our staff here. And now he's at the Ferndale campus. I love Eric, but he has one weird thing about him. He loves, parents knows, he loves to know the ending of books and movies. 
He, let, he will not, he go, oh, I don't know if I'm going to watch. I'm going to read the end of the book or I'm going to watch the, the end of the movie to see if it's even worth watching. And I'm just thinking, you know, like, what? I can't process it a little bit. And so if you are that way, we want you to know there's prayer available for you after the service is here today. Um, I, I get what he's saying, but I'm not that way. I like, I don't like to be spoiled in movies. I actually want to be you know, I like suspense. I like to know if it's a twist and turn. That's the best stories, right? What, what their surprise endings and they go. And I think in life, we need to recognize there's an ending point that really matters. Starting is really important, right? There's a startup that's really important, but the ending matters. And that's what Solomon says here in verse eight. The end of a matter is better than a beginning. Patience, he says, is better than pride. Face it, we can be great starters, but we're terrible finishers when following through. And many of us, myself included, like shortcuts. We like to get somewhere quicker, you know, and, and more of a direct route. And, and I don't know about you, if I'd done this before, I'm going, oh, I'm going to go down this side road, and then all of a sudden, it's the train. And like, oh, no, there's one value view road. Don't go down that road in the middle of the day. There's a train that's there, and it'll go forward, and it'll back up. Why is the train backing up, okay? And we find ourselves, and like, I was trying to cut through and get through, and I admit at times, it's been a while, but I admit at times, like, I try to get somewhere a little bit faster, right? And everything comes to a halt and stops. And the humbling thing about it is, is not only that you get the ticket, but they kind of make you sweat it out a little bit, don't they? You're waiting there, playing on the computer and doing different things. And like, that's Tetris, what they're doing. What are they, what's going on? And then they give you the tickets or have a nice straight drive safely. And I think a lot of it has to do with this, calm down, dude, you need to slow down. And then what's more embarrassing is you get to your meeting. Now you're really late. And then you got, why are you late? Like, oh, I got a ticket, right? Humbling, it's humbling, but taking shortcuts. I love what Eugene Peterson says of this. He wrote, put together the Message Bible, and he has this book called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He, he made this declaration, because I've decided each day to set aside what I can do best and attempt to do what I was very clumsy Open myself up to frustrations and failures of loving, daring, believing that falling in love is better than succeeding in pride. The long way to go and the, and the learning and the growth it takes. And the greatest of those things is loving. To love people even though it's hard to love. And so Solomon says pride cuts us off. Pride causes us to be impatient. And when we do that, then in patience, we do that. We strive in success in our impatience. And if we do it at an unhealthy pace, what happens is our performance can outlive or outpace our character. And when you do that, what happens? Your talents and your abilities outpace your character and your maturity. You begin to compromise. You don't realize you do it, but you get to compromise your values and your integrity against, begins to slip. You overpromise. I've learned this before. I, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. I'll do that. I got you, I got you, I got you. And pretty soon you're like dropping things like flies, like responsibilities. And then people go, I can't trust that person. And our credibility drops in the process. Solomon's saying, remember, no, the end is, is so much important, more important than the beginning. And so he warns us in verse 9, he says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of 
fools. Man, that speaks to me at times where I just get frustrated and I get impatient. And I realize this is that's not the quality or the version of the human being I should be. That's not what Christ wants me to live out. And rather than we want quick success and rather than committing to the long haul, long obedience in that same direction. And so it's times we just we need to stop and reflect and choose that long road of going, you know what? To get to the ending, I got to pace myself. See, I've learned this. It's far better that we wait patiently and humbly for God to work out his will than to get angry and demand our own way. Let me say that one more time for myself. Far better that we wait patiently and humbly for God to work out his will than to get angry and demand our own way. Which leads to this, number six. Today is better than yesterday. Today is better than yesterday. We have a family reunion come up on my mom's side and, and we've had so many deaths that basically we're going, we need to get together and not talk about people dying. We need to talk about the living. And I know in our family reunions, it's going to be like not a huge group of people. We used to, when I was a kid, we'd have like 200 people at our big family reunion. And what happens in these things, oh, I remember when we had 200 people back in the old days and when everybody, I'm like, well, everybody was alive back then. Okay, that's the part of the problem. And, and I'm recognizing that we can live in yesteryear and we can do that all the time. We can live in the good old days, can't we? Well, this is what Solomon says of the good old days. He says, do not say, why were the, the old days better than these? For it's not, the wise, it's not wise to ask these questions. And it's not. We, we get caught in that past and we, we miss out really in the present. That's why he says in verse 11, wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing. Benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. What is he saying? It, what we need to look in the past is not... It's not just what we receive from the past, which can be an inheritance. Some of us have received a monetary inheritance. Some of us have received, you know, precious heirlooms that we hang on to. Those are wonderful things. But what we get most from our past is the wisdom. The people that gone on before us that we learn from. And Solomon's reminding of, of this, that really today is better than yesterday. As much as yesterday was great, today is the fact that we've had this wisdom, this collective wisdom that we can have to help us. But ultimately, our, our final better than to end with is this, is that wisdom is better than power. Wisdom is better than power. He says this, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Kind of a sober statement to say. And it really kind of fits the overall theme here of the bigger and the better is not the wiser. What the wiser is seeking the wisdom that God has. And that is best. Solomon sums up the better thans with this. He says, in the meaningless life of mine, I have seen both these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked. Do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. And here it is. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Wisdom is much better than seeking after power. And you got to know, 
Solomon, the guy that wrote that, was the most powerful dude on earth. And he comes full circle to the very thing when he was worshiping God and honoring God back when he was young, that God came to him and says, I want to grant you one wish. Solomon, what what wish do you want? He says, I want to be wise. Solomon had it right at the beginning, but he's finding himself with matters is the end of his life. He came to that conclusion that everything else he had, wealth, power, everything on earth, what he needed was wisdom. And he is the one that wrote the phrase in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to find wisdom and seek after wisdom, it's seeking after God and walking in fear and reverence to God. doesn't mean we're scared of him and that we can't approach him, but through Christ, through what Christ did on the cross for us, that we can approach, the Bible says, the throne of grace with confidence. We can approach a holy God, but we do that in fear and reverence toward him. And when we do that, we find that there is wisdom. But listen to the wisest statement in chapter seven that Solomon gives is this as we end with. He says, indeed, there's no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Solomon realized that the bigger and the better is never going to be big enough, is never going to be better than enough. What he truly recognized is this, that he's a sinner and he needs forgiveness. That was the wisest thing that he discovered that he can't do it on his own. There's nothing bigger, there's nothing better, but the pursuing who God is and his holiness. And it's till we come to that place that we understand that we realize that we're not the bigger and that we're the better until we admit this, that, we're the, that we are bad and that we're broken. And Solomon finally at the end of his life came to that conclusion. And it's so important that we do the same, that there's nothing that's gonna make your life bigger and better without pursuing Jesus and his blood covering your lives and my life and coming in true relationship. They're willing to do this. We're willing to downsize our life, downsize what we consider the bigger, the better, to choose the greater. As our team comes, as we close here today, let me just end you with this question. Are you willing to trade your bigger and better for God's greater? Are you willing to trade your bigger and better for God's greater? And meaning this, are you willing to trade your ambition to seek God's will? Are you willing to trade in your, your selfishness of loving others so you can love others sacrificially? Are you willing to lay down your lies, the lies that you've spoken, that people have spoken over you to really pursue God's truth? Are you willing to trade your greed in for, to be generous? Are you willing to lay down your ego for the path of humility? There's recognition that Jesus laid everything down for us. So now we have the ability to lay everything down before him so that we can follow him. Are you willing, down, willing to lay that down? The lay down pursuing to follow Jesus. And really it's about trading up. We, we have to downsize the trade up. Jesus, and I'll close with this scripture, his very words. You're saying, I want, I want God's bigger. I want God's better in my life. It is changing and turning in whatever you consider the bigger, the better to following him and denying yourself. This is what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is a man to gain the whole world, to seek after the bigger, the better, and to lose or forfeit their very soul, their very self? 
Discipleship is a denial of ourselves and our selfishness in pursuing through the pathway of the cross, the letting go of our lesser life, letting go of what we consider bigger and better to pursue God's greater inner life. It's, it's denying that so that we can pursue him and him alone. Why? Well, we sang it earlier and proclaim it because he's good. He has the best. He has the bigger and better for us that's beyond this earth. Anything this earth can provide, ultimately what is eternal. Will you bow with me as we pray? As we close here in the moment, I hope you've had some time in this service to reflect a bit. I'm hoping that the words that I spoke and that God really has spoken in between those words through his Holy Spirit to, to show to you and re, to reveal your own heart. Are you seeking an upgrade? Is, are, you, are you fixated and focused on and trying to improve your life? You never will get there. I'm sorry to tell you, you'll never get there. You'll have a, ro- a moments of arrival. You'll have moments of satisfaction. But there's always the newer. There's always the, the nicer. There's always the bigger. There's always the upgrade that's there. And until we're willing to lay down what we want bigger and better for our lives, willing to lay down our very lives, denying ourselves, but to pick up the cross that Jesus already died for, to, to follow his footsteps toward the greater, and that is a, a love relationship with him. That is where wisdom lies, in him and only through him. God, thank you for this opportunity that we've gathered here today. Thank you, Lord, that we can take time to reflect upon our lives, that we can make some adjustments, that we can get, have a little bit of tweaking that needs to take place so that we get back on the path of the pattern of following you and pursuing you, pushing away what we're considering bigger and better for our life for you and what you have. It's so much greater. Some of us are adjusting and making some tweaks. Some of us are here today and we just need to lay down our entire life. We need a whole reset of our lives. Lord, I pray that would happen for those today, that they do a great do-over, say, Lord, I've lived for my own pursuit and not my pursuit of you, of your goodness in my life and the work that you did through the cross, Jesus, for me, that I lay down my life to receive your life today. God, I pray that you go with us today, that we live out what we proclaim to be. I pray that our good name is really your name that we proclaim and the goodness that you have for us and through us, we pray in your name, in Jesus' name.